So today, what I want to do today um, is to talk about the most important part of Christianity is actually the most important person in the whole concept of Christianity, that's Jesus. I want to quickly start laying a strong foundation for the year because I know it's going to be a good year for you. So I want to, I want to just answer a simple question today. Why did Jesus come? Simple question. Why did Jesus come? So I want to attempt to answer this question by introducing you to the king and his kingdom. And that's what we're going to do today by God's grace next week Sunday. And by God's grace next week Sunday. So the three Sundays that are left starting from today, this month, all the way to the 29th of January, that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore the king and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom. Because this is the fundamental understanding you need to have in Christianity that will enable you to both find God, find yourself, and find your purpose, and then pursue it, then live a life of significance, not an ordinary life. Because you were never created to be ordinary. You were never created to be ordinary. You were created by God to be a masterpiece. In other words, another word for masterpiece, switch it over. You were created to be a piece of the master. Okay? You might have been born under circumstances that are ordinary. You might have been born in, under routine circumstances or born, you know, in a regular family, but there's nothing regular at all about your life. Your life is custom-made for this earth to solve a problem on this earth. Humanity needs you. This world needs you. Society needs you. Your parents or your guardians have brought you up, uncles, aunties, whatever. Teachers in school, the first set of people you interfaced and interacted with might have made you feel ordinary or worse still, that you were surplus to requirements, you know. But I want to let you know, as far as heaven is concerned, you are the one that has met the requirement. The Bible says, God says, I looked and I sought for a man, a man. And then he found Isaiah, and Isaiah said, here I am, send me. When Joseph was speaking to Pharaoh in the palace, he said, choose a man. You are that person that God has chosen to be here on earth today to fulfill a purpose that will add value to humanity. Somebody say, that's me. Say, if you believe what I've just said, say, that's me. That's me. I came into this country with my wife some years ago with three thousand, a little bit over three thousand dollars. That's how we landed in this country. A little bit over three thousand Canadian dollars. We came into this country, landed, stayed in an hotel, because we didn't know anybody around, stayed in an hotel, downtown, Toronto, Howard Johnson Hotel, it's changed the name now. Stayed in an hotel. Then, in the evening, maybe around 8 p.m., Topsy went downstairs. Um, you know, in this hotel, they have some newspapers. So she picked all the newspapers. They happened to be Toronto Star. She went through it and saw a place where somebody was advertising an accommodation. It was a basement. She called. The lady said, oh, why not? Come and take a look. Following day, we took a bus, went, took a look at the basement. We rented the basement. In those days in Canada, because you have to pay first and last. It's to do now. We paid first and last. That's how we got the basement. The basement <laughs> was a two-bedroom basement. It was $900. I remember clearly. Why am I saying all this to you? After, I'm telling you this story in details because I just want you to understand a particular morale I want to bring out of it. By the time we paid the first and last of the rent deposit for the basement out of $3,000, how much do you think was left? Twelve hundred. Thank you. You're the only one that studied mathematics in school. <laughs> A lot of the other people, they studied um, different things, European history and all of that. All right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had 1,200 left. And we still had a lot of other things to do here and there. You know, doing this, you have to register this, register for that, you know. 
And of course, in those days in Canada, I don't know what it looks like now, but there were a lot of also people that were not straightforward. So one particular, <laughs> one particular, where we went to do our register as a new migrant for, to get our social insurance number, there was um, some people that were there hustling, you know, giving out adverts, doing some you know, advertising, and they said, hey, you know what, when you register for your health, to get your health card in Ontario, it doesn't, the insurance doesn't kick in until, the, until after three months. So you need to get a coverage for the first three months just in case something happens to you. So I looked at Tops and I said, well, for me, I'm not, I mean, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm cool. What about I? I said, but I've got to protect you. So what, what, what are we going to do? So I said, I said how much? He said, um, you call this number, 1-800-COVER-ME. $200. I said, what? $200 just to cover us for three months? He said, yes. He said, but you need this, you know? So I said, I paid $200. By the time we called them, the number was not working. <laughs> True life story. True life story. Number was not working. You know, then, you know, if you saw myself and my wife when we came into this country, we looked completely insignificant. Completely insignificant. That's why I'm giving you details. If you had come to us then and said, you have a prophecy for us, if somebody has sent you, go and give this couple a prophecy that they will live a significant life in this country. By the time you saw, got to us, you would have said, uh, no, you can't be the couple. You would have gone to somebody else. We didn't look like it. But you see, there's something about God, and I want you to understand that. It's not about what is happening around you. It's about what is happening within you. It is first within and then without. What is happening within you. You are significant not because of what you're wearing. You're significant not because of your last name, though that helps. But it's not because of your last name. You're significant not because of what you have. You're significant because of to whom you belong. Somebody say, I'm a masterpiece. You gotta say it until you believe it. Somebody say, I'm a masterpiece. All right, the three of you that are confident enough to do that, come on, stand on your feet and tell three or four people around you, you're looking at a masterpiece. Come on, tell them. You are looking at a masterpiece. Confidently tell at least three people around you, you are looking at a masterpiece. Yes, please, take a seat. You are looking at a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Okay, don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let circumstances of life beat you down. You are a masterpiece. So we're going to look at the kingdom of God, the king and his kingdom. Practically, we're going to set up this. First talk about the kingdom, then talk about why did Jesus come. I want you to know. Because, you see, this is the reason why we come to church, we read our Bibles and all of that. We need to start from this premise to understand why Jesus came. Okay? Thank you, Lord. First, let's talk about the prophecy that came before Jesus actually was manifest in the flesh. All right? The prophecy is in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 to 33. And this is what the prophecy says. It says, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, come and speak to me now, there shall be no end. So, this is a prophecy that was spoken okay, by the angel to Mary before Jesus was conceived. So here is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, giving, telling Mary that you're about to conceive a son. You will give birth to this son. And let me give you the prophecy okay, about this son to let you know that this son is different. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. But he said, he will be great. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So let's look at what Jesus himself said when he came. Now, when it was there, he departed and went into the desolate place. The crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. And Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. So Jesus is telling us that he is the king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is the king. But he's telling us that the purpose here is the kingdom. Now, what does that really mean? Jesus is the king. 
we have a kingdom of God, what does that actually translate into? Okay? Which is why we want to talk about this. Why did Jesus come? How many of you would like to know this? Okay? Because, you know, we, we have a lot of concepts that are there. There's the Hollywood concept of why Jesus came. There's the Nollywood concept of why Jesus came. You have all manners of concepts and stories your grandmother told you, great-grandmother told you, all manners of stories. But we've got to look at the Bible. Why did Jesus actually come? Let's look at four things, all right? If you're writing, write down these four things, why Jesus came. The first reason why he came was to demonstrate kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom living to us. To demonstrate kingdom life, kingdom living to us. Now, admittedly, because we live in a democracy, 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 because demo is crazy right now, and that is true. You know, the democratic norms have been so buffeted that you are not even sure if it can hold. See what happened in Brazil just a few days ago which has happened in America. Now in America, virtually everybody has top secret documents in their house. You know, you don't know what is what anymore. You can, I'm, when I was listening to the news, I said to myself, I might go to Wendy's, buy a burger in America. And the guy selling me the burger, I might just wrap my burger with a top secret document. Who knows? So because we live in a democracy, the concept of kingdom is difficult for us to grasp. We don't grasp it immediately. We grab the concept of, um, you know, the different arms of a government, all right? Of, in a democracy, you know, you have the executive, you have the legislative body, and you have the judiciary, all right? And the system of government of democracy. So, and they so said these are equal parts of government. Um, because of that, you don't have what is called an absolute power residing in a person. Are you with me? You don't have absolute and final authority residing in a person. So it's very difficult for us, for you and I, to, when we read our Bibles, to understand that. So when we say, you know, uh, God speaks and it is done, that's the foreign concept for us in the environment we live in. Because our Prime Minister here in Canada, the Right Honorable Justin Trudeau, cannot speak and it is done. Because there's still a parliament, and even if he speaks and the parliament agrees, there is still the Supreme Court that you can still take your case to. So you have this balance of power. So for us, we always, something in our mind always tells us that if God speaks, are you sure it is done? But you see, Jesus came to introduce the concept of a kingdom, to let them know that in the kingdom, the authority, both the executive power, judiciary power, legislative power all reside in one person, the king. And once the person speaks, then it is done. Are you still with me? Come on, are you still with me? So we have to understand that. So Jesus told them, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The, the phrase is near just basically means, it's, you know, another one would say it's at hand. It just basically means it's near you, okay? It's available to you right now. He was telling them, okay? He went throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, this is a very important concept. Listen to this. Announcing the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God, Jesus came to let us know, is the kingdom of good news. Write it down if you're writing this. Because we're living in a world today that you have a flow of all manners of news. And people, you know, today in Christianity, sometimes they tell you that, oh, you know, life, you just can't have it good. You know, they could, they sometimes there'll just be bad news. You just learn to live with it. Sometimes there'll be tragedy. You learn to live with it. But Jesus did not say that. Jesus is the king. He owns the kingdom. He didn't tell us that. Jesus told us that, yes, we are going to face challenges, for in this world you will have tribulations. But he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome. 
when he came to introduce the kingdom originally, he introduced the kingdom as a kingdom of good news. Somebody say good news. Oh, come on, say it again. Good news. Good news. And of course, people that were going through terrible situations with sicknesses and illnesses to show that he had come to bring the good news, he healed them. Let me put that to you in contemporary language. The good news of the kingdom alleviates the pain of humanity. The good news in the kingdom of God alleviates the pain, removes the pain of humanity. So if you're going through a painful situation, when you interface, interact, come in contact with the kingdom of God, led by Jesus Christ the King, there's the possibility for that pain to be taken out. Whatever is causing that pain, the root cause of that pain, okay, for that pain to be dealt with. So Jesus came and told us that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of goodness, and he healed them all. That's another concept about the kingdom of God, which we're going to talk about. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that has no class structure. There's no class structure. It's a kingdom of everyone. In the kingdom of men, there's a class structure. I lived in London, England for some years. There is class in England. Class structure. You have the aristocrats, and then you have the commoners. That's how they say. The aristocrat class don't like marrying a commoner. They don't like marrying a commoner. You know, they have aristocrats, you have common. Even among the aristocrats, there are levels. Somebody can be a hare, another one can be a spare. There are levels, even among them, among the royals, there are levels. Okay? <laughs> there are levels. You know, but in the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom for everyone. It, it is to you then, according to your faith. So that's the first thing Jesus came to do, to introduce the kingdom of God, to demonstrate it to us that it is a kingdom of good news. That means that when you embrace the kingdom of God, everywhere you go to is good news. When people are in a relationship with you, there is good news. People should be happy and, let me use contemporary language, feel lucky that you're their friend. If people don't want to pick your phone call, they don't, they don't want to pick your phone call, they don't want to talk to you, it's, it's, it just shows you're not manifesting the kingdom of God. If you're manifesting the kingdom of God, people should want you to be their friend because you're good news. Amen? Amen. Yeah, because that means you don't bring pain. You actually relieve pain. When you talk to people, they feel, they feel excited, they feel encouraged, not deflated, not discouraged. All right, let's take it up. Number two, why did Jesus come? He came to meet the demands of justice by paying the price for our sins with his own blood. Very important. As we begin to explore deeper spiritual truths, we have to understand Jesus came to meet the demands of justice. What this means is that as a result, by the principle in the Bible, there's a principle that runs across life. It's called the principle of representation. It runs across the whole Bible. If you don't understand the principle of representation, you will always fall into the um, thinking that life is unfair. Life is unfair. The principle of representation. And you see, whether you like it or not, the principle of representation has worked for you it has also worked against you, okay? Apart from the concept in the Bible, in life generally, principle of representation. Some of you are here today because your representatives from years ago mismanaged certain things. That's why you ended up in a country like this that is cold. <laughs> you know? And some of you are here now enjoying yourself in a country like this perhaps because your representative, your parents or guardians, they decided that they wanted to come to school in this country. They made a decision which you flowed with principle of representation. So in the Bible, Adam in the Garden of Eden was representing the whole of humanity. As a matter of fact, the name Adam, A-D-A-M, Adam is not a name. 
Adam is more of a title than a name. It's a name, but it's more of a title than a name. Adam is the title for humanity. So when God was dealing with Adam, he was not just dealing with a man individually. He was dealing, you know, more so with the whole of humanity because Adam was representing the whole of humanity. Are you following? All right. Principle of representation. You are in this building right now. You have never seen the contract for this building. You don't know what the contract of this building looks like. You don't know who will sign the contract of this place with, but when you come into this place, you say, I'm going to church. You know, our church, this is the building we use, this is our building. But you've never seen the contract before, but somebody represented this church to sign the contract. That's the principle of representation. All right? But you're enjoying the benefits. All right? So, but so Adam messed up and disobeyed God. And when he disobeyed God, there were consequences attached to the choices he made. Those consequences, one of the one of them is that Adam was separated from God. So God said, on the day you eat this fruit, you will die. Die does not mean physical death only. Die in the Bible means separation. Somebody say separation. Come on, say separation again. Death always means separation. And there are three types of death in the Bible. The first death in the Bible is physical death. Physical death is separation of your spirit from your body. That's physical death. There is spiritual death, which is what God was talking about when he was speaking to Adam. That is separation from God. Separation from God. And there's what is called in the Bible eternal death. The Bible also calls it second death. That is permanent separation from God at judgment. So when God said to Adam, on the day you eat of it, you will die. It means you'll be separated from God. And when you're separated from God, Life is not a vacuum. When you're separated from God, you become a victim and you're vulnerable to every evil the enemy wants to bring up. So Adam, anyway, so separated from God and all the consequences thereof. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. Let's look at that. And God said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. It toil, you shall eat of it. All the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In this sweat, this is what I really like. This is the point that is scary. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see, give me. Message translation, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Then I'll make my comments on it. Quickly. Thank you. You told the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree I commanded you not to eat from, don't eat from this tree. The very ground is now cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be painful. So when you, people, you see people doing Three jobs together, you know, is painful. This is this case that is at work. When people work all day long and you ask them after two years, how far? And they can't really point to anything. When people study and study and study for the exams and they get into the examination hall and you studied for, I don't know, um, mathematics 314 whatever the course might be, and you've studied for it, then you get into the class, you look at the question paper, and it's like it's chemistry. <laughs> but it's not chemistry. It's just that everything you do, all the areas you studied was just not what came out. And you're just like, this is not right. You know. This act is the part of the consequences of the disobedience of Adam. But when Jesus came, he obeyed God Okay, and in obedience to God, he ought to get the benefits of that obedience. But instead of getting the benefits of the obedience, he said, hold, hold on, hold on one minute. I want to meet the demands of justice. The soul that sins will die. So what I want to do is that I want to take the place of people that were born through the lineage of Adam so that if they put their trust in me, they can take my place and enjoy the fruits of my own obedience to God. We call that substitution. Are you still with me? Yes. 
That's what we call substitution. So basically, there was an exchange. All right? So somebody said, well, but how can it be that easy? Well, I'd never met Adam in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what he looks like. Did you know what, you know what he looks like? You've watched a lot of movies. People have tried to portray Adam one way or the other. I don't know. I don't know what Adam looks like. I never met him. What he did, I was a victim of the consequence of his choices. But right now, today, I'm a beneficiary of also the choices that Jesus made. I never met Jesus physically here on earth. And some of my colleagues, pastors and all that, even some Christians, have had an incredible encounter and they've seen Jesus, which is beautiful, wonderful. Maybe one day I will see Jesus too. To this point, I have not seen Jesus. <laughs> okay. No, there's nothing wrong. Just trust the truth. Just trust the truth. I've not seen Jesus. But I believe him. For he that comes to him must believe that he is. Okay? I know he exists, for sure. I've not had a vision or had an encounter of meeting him physically. You know? But he does exist. I know, for sure. So he's met the demands of justice and paid the price for your sin and my own sin with his own blood. That's part of why he came. So coming to church there, implication of this is coming to church is not enough. Coming to church is not enough. Being part of a community is not enough. We must make sure that we are certain. Someone say certain. You have to be certain. You have to be sure that you have taken that step to embrace what Christ came to do. That his, you put your faith in him so that your sins are washed by his blood. Look at it now. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus and said, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First John 2, 2, Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sins and the sins of all the world's people. He paid for our sins with his own blood. He did not pay for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. So the sacrifice for your sins and my sins have been paid for. Somebody say it's fully paid. Oh, come and say it. It's been fully paid. The implication of this is very powerful because it means that when no matter what you have done and you become a Christian, when Satan wants to bring accusation to you because the Bible calls Satan the accusation, accuser rather, the accuser of the brethren, when you start feeling guilty, feeling condemned, you can say out loud, the price has been paid. You can't condemn me, Satan. The price has been paid for my sins. All right? The price has been paid for your sins. Don't, that's why the Bible says now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the, this is the solution to feeling condemned. Because when you feel condemned, it robs you of your confidence in God, robs you of your faith, robs you of confidence when you feel condemned. And I, I don't know about any one of you, but I don't think there's anybody here before you met Christ that have not been in sin. It's quiet. No, I'm not asking you to show up your hands. The Bible says if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. Every one of us, you know, that's the reason why we need Christ anyway. If you don't, if you've not been in sin before you met Christ, then you don't need him. You know, but Christ came, but from time to time, you know, some memories will come back, you know, things will come back to you, but you can rightfully, justly say, I have no sin. Satan, your accusations cannot work against me. The person you are referring to is not the one here today. And you are not lying. It's scriptural. Are you following? Come on, are you following? Because the price has been paid. Can you say it again? The price has been paid. The price has been paid. Yeah. Why did Jesus come? Number three, to defeat the devil and the kingdom of darkness on your behalf. Very powerful. To defeat the devil and the kingdom of the darkness on your behalf. The devil doesn't like you. One thing the devil is mainly after. It's not after your job. It's not even after your health. That's not his primary purpose. His primary purpose is not your health, not your job. It's not, his primary purpose is not to stop you from having a relationship. That's not his or to stop you from graduating from school. That's not his primary purpose. You want to know what his primary purpose is? Come on. Do you want to know what his primary purpose is? His primary purpose is to make sure you don't fulfill your destiny. That's his primary purpose. What, what the greatest fear of the devil is that the reason for your existence will be realized. So every other thing he's doing is to push you out of a, the position you ought to be to realize that destiny. 
If you know the battle I have fought in my life, I never knew why I was fighting those battles. I just knew I was fighting the battles. I fought the battle, battles, battles, battles all my life. Even when I was coming to Canada, here, when I was living in London, England, my wife and I now finally decided that, all right, Canada is where we're going. All right? I didn't know why. I just knew that I trained as a pharmacist, qualified as a pharmacist. I'm going to Canada to practice pharmacy. That's all I knew. So we applied. We we're using a consultant in England. At that time in England, it was in the 90s, late 90s. It takes 12 weeks. The system was portable, it was nice. You put in the application, 12 weeks maximum. Your papers, permanent residency will come out, you travel. Many people have done that. So we used the consultant. Then the consultant put our own application, put everything together, sent it in. I've looked at all the points, I qualified, you know, all of that was good. Sent it in. So I kept, I kept on asking the consultant, how far, how things? Said nothing, I've not had anything back from them. Wow. Call again, 12 weeks gone by, 16 weeks, 18 weeks, 20 weeks, nothing. So one day, maybe about six months or eight months, I decided to go to the consultant. I remember clearly, consultant was in Fulham in England, in London. So I decided from East London, I'm going there. So I got there, sat on the phone. So the man was telling me, see, I've, I've um, sent them letters um, as requested over and over again. They haven't replied. So, in trying to prove to me that he sent them several letters, so he brought out my file, opened the file. As he opened the file, right on the file, I saw where he addressed the letter, so it was the Australian embassy. True life story. So I said, this is to the Australian embassy. He said, oh my God. He said, I'm so sorry, I'm so, so sorry. He was just apologizing, I'm so, this has never happened. I said, funny enough, I wasn't angry. I just said to him, I said, Sasa, it's okay. Because in my mind, I was saying to myself, I know, I know the reason. I know these people don't want me to go anywhere. <laughs> but now, then I just thought it was just me, the enemy just doesn't want me to go anywhere. But now I see the reason. When I see what is happening in Christianity here now, that God is doing the little part that is giving us opportunity to do in Canada here, I said, okay, this is the reason why the enemy fought. He fought. They finally... He wrote to the Australian embassy, retrieved my details, sent it to the Canadian embassy. And he had told me, at a lot of time, I didn't need to do my pharmacy uh, exams. I'll come in here, I'll do my exams and everything. So I was fine. And they waited and waited and waited and waited. Towards the end of the year, they wrote me a letter and said, they've just started a new process now. The exam is in two parts. The first part of it will be done in England. Go and do the exam. No problem. Shouldn't be a problem at all. The only problem is that the exam is only once in a year, and it's in December. And the date to register for this year's old is gone past. So I have to wait for one full year at least to write the exam again. So I had to stay in London for an extra one year. Then it take another six months for the result to come out. Then after that, you go and do interview. Then you do medical and all of that. So I said to myself, what is this? But now, when I look back now with the benefit of hindsight, which is 2020, I see it was a perfect plan. From God. The people I was coming to meet here, they were not ready. So God was still, and I was also not ready. God was still dealing with me, dealing with me. But Satan was fighting against my destiny. So the fight you are having, the boyfriend that broke your heart, the reason why. You keep getting angry every time you, you, know, you, you, you pick up a phone and you go on Instagram and because you're still connected to him somehow, you know, he comes up on your feed. You look at him again, he's smiling, laughing. You're angry that he's smiling. <laughs> you know, you're angry that he's happy. You know, because you want him to feel the pain. You, you, you're looking at him and something is telling you, he's not missing you. So that hurts even more. And so forth. then when you look around and look around, maybe you see a, a, somebody that looks like a lady around him. You're like, what is, what, is, what is this seeing this lady? I'm even more beautiful than this lady. You see, what are you? <laughs> Everything I'm telling you right now, you know, what you need to understand is this, friends. All that battle is not about just you. It's not just that Satan just want to break your heart. The goal is to stop you from fulfilling your destiny. 
But whether the enemy likes it or not, you will fulfill your destiny. Yeah. Let me say it again. Whether the enemy likes it or not, you will fulfill your destiny. Because you see, we use the phrase and the sentence fulfilling your destiny. But what it really means is that you're in the center of God's perfect will. It's when you're there that you attract everything, the best of God. When you're in the center of God's will, that's when you attract all the best of God. Okay? So, God, Satan, Jesus came to defeat the kingdom of darkness on your behalf. So, when we embrace Christ, he comes to live in us. It comes into our heart. And when it's in you, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can tell you this for, for sure. Growing up, growing up, you know, it was, it was I was, grew up in Nigeria. Grew up in Nigeria. Um, in this country, it's the same thing, but it's not as obvious in this country. Growing up in Nigeria, it was very, very obvious. When you see your enemy, you just know that some people that have... Some people have just, they just have a way of not hiding. They just tell you, I'm your enemy. I'm going to destroy you. I don't like your parents. You've not done anything, but I just don't like your parents. I want to make sure your parents cry, and I'm going to deal with you. And I'm telling you, they're going to deal with you, and they're going to deal with you. You know, if I, if I tell you some stories, and for you it will sound like a Nollywood movie. But these are things that happened to me. When I was my first year in pharmacy school, first class. Second year in my pharmacy school, Almost first class, all right? Doing very well. Then I got into my third year in pharmacy school. I could not sit down to study. I could sit down to play Scrabble. True, I can play Scrabble for hours. I could sit down to play chess, hours. I could sit down to discuss politics, international affairs. But once you give me a book that will move my life forward, within 20 minutes, I will be feeling a lot of pain in my body. I went to the health center. I went to the doctors. They couldn't figure out what it was. They said it's stress. I should take three days off, take one week off. I took all that off. It still wasn't helping. They said I had a big afro. I should cut it. I cut. True, true. My mom said, oh, it's your hair. Because I was having a headache when I sit down to study. My mom said, the headache is your hair. Cut it off. So I cut it off. It didn't help. Everything, it didn't help. I just couldn't study. Then one day, I was going for lectures going for lectures on my way to the pharmacy faculty. I remember that day very clearly, 1988. It was raining season. It was raining, drizzling. I was running for this afternoon lecture. As I was going, just about three to five minutes walk from my pharmacy faculty, right in front of the library in the university, as I just saw somebody call my name. Right standing in front of me was my aunt. True life story. Now, this aunt of mine has no daughter or son or anybody in the university. She's an illiterate. She has no business in the university. Where she lives is very far, hours from the university. She just showed up in front of me. And she had an umbrella. I just called her name. Right in front of me. The first thing I did was just to, I first stepped back. She said, ah, how are you? I said, I'm fine. I said, I'm... <laughs> I was frozen because obviously I knew, I already knew, I've known already, she had, she's had a pattern, a consistent pattern of always being where bad things happen. And right now, she's showing up in front of me, not in the dream, life. <laughs> life. I said, I have a lecture. He said, ah, okay, something, I said, dad, I'm talking, my dad, you, you are related to him. Find out how he's doing. Leave me alone. Right there. So anyway, I ran to my lecture. Of course, you can imagine everything they said in the lecture, not one. I didn't understand anything. So of course, in those days, we didn't have cell mobile phones like that in Nigeria. So we used to write letters. So I wrote a letter to my parents and told them what had happened. Immediately, my dad and my mom showed up in the school. <laughs> because they know what I meant. They know what I meant. This guy is not going to finish in this school. Seeing that woman, you know. There are people that are determined that I wasn't going to make it. And I was, I was scared. I was, I, was, I was running all my life. Then I met Christ. Christ came into me. Today now, they run from me. If it was today now, if she, anybody attempts something like that with me now and suddenly shows up with, in front of me like that, instead of me crossing the road and taking off, I walk towards them gladly and shake hands with them and even hug them. 
Hallelujah. Because the greater one lives inside me. Come on, give Jesus some praise. Now, I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And the reason why it will not prosper is not because of me, not because I'm, I'm powerful or anything. No, it will not prosper because this is a heritage. Heritage, inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. Now I know he has given me the authority to step upon serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt me. Luke chapter 10 verse 19. So I have no more fear. I don't fear anymore. For the Bible says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So now when you have a bad dream or a nightmare, you want to call it, and you wake up, don't panic. Christ is in you. What are you afraid of? Is your light and your salvation, whom shall I fear? Is the strength of your life, or whom shall you be afraid? When the enemies, even your foe, Psalm 27, yeah, came up to eat up your flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Keep going. This is what I like about this. I love this part. Though an army may encamp against me. Come on, speak to me. Come on, speak to me. What? My heart shall not fear. So this is where I want to tell you. What I want to tell you. It doesn't matter how many people don't like you. It matters the importance of the person that does like you. And the person that already has accepted you in the beloved is the all-powerful God and is your father. That's what matters. Even if the whole world gathers against you, you will still fulfill destiny. Even if the whole world gathers against you, you will still fulfill your destiny. Yeah. All the goals you set out for yourself, even if the whole world gathers against you, you will still fulfill the goals. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Alright? Jesus Christ is the door to the kingdom of God for whosoever believes. That's why he came. He's the door to the kingdom of God. You see? He said again, I say to you, I am the door of the ship. John 10, 9, I am the door. Jesus is not only, Jesus is not only somebody that opens the door. I want to pray for somebody now. Jesus is not only, Jesus doesn't just open the door. He has the key of David, the Bible says. He opens the door which no man can shut and shuts the door which no man can open. But I want you to know he's also the door. Jesus is what? Is the door. I'm going to tell you the implication now as I pray. It's a very powerful one. Can you put your hand on the keyboard for me, please? You see, Jesus is the door into the kingdom of God. So when you give your life to Christ, the only legitimate biblical access to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your trust in him, you cannot say you have a relationship with God. There is no other name given under heaven through which men must be saved. Acts of Apostles chapter 4 and verse 12. Please listen very carefully to me. All religions don't lead to God. Jesus is the only way. That's what the Bible teaches. It's the only way. You know, I was reading yesterday that in Nepal, 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 where the highest mountain is, Mount Everest, okay? In Nepal, Nepal used to be 98% Hindu. But Nepal right now has one of the fastest rates of growth for Christianity. South Koreans, South Korean missionaries have gone into Nepal and they're evangelizing the whole place. In 1961, there were about only 581 Christians in the whole of Nepal. Right now, they're approaching a million. South Koreans are planting churches all over Nepal. So the Nepalese government came up with the law. And that law is the law of the anti-conversion law. If you convert anybody to another religion, you are going to go to five years imprisonment. 
Five years imprisonment. So, to scare off the people so that they don't evangelize other people. But you know what? The more they put the law in place, the more South Koreans are pouring in. And of course, also the Nepalese citizens are going to South Korea for university. So when they, the South Koreans give them scholarships, so when they come to South Korea, they make sure they're Christian before they go back. That's how one young Hindu priest that was about 20, he was a Hindu priest at 20, yeah, maybe the seventh or eighth in his generation, generations, Hindu priest, went to South Korea for, for school, became a Christian, now he's a pastor, he's the head of the Christian Association in Nepal, former Hindu priest. Now, so they started like evangelizing, and the people they were telling the government that, listen, we are not converting people from one religion to another religion. No, we're not doing that. All we're doing is giving them an option to be in a relationship. We're just introducing them to a person. That's all. And it's not left to them. If I, meet, if I have a friend, and I tell you, meet my friend, it's left to you to put your hand in your pocket and say, no, I don't want to meet your friend. So we're not introducing to a religion. That's what they said. We're only introducing you to a person. It just happens that his name is Jesus. You might like him, you might not like him, but meet Jesus. That's all. And Christianity is going at a fast rate. Have you ever thought, why do these countries feel they need a law, anti-conversion law, to protect their religion? Why, what are they protecting? Why can't they leave it out and just say, it doesn't matter, tell the people. After all, in, this, in a country like this now, there's no anti-conversion law. Why, what are they afraid of? What are they, what are they holding? They're afraid because they understand that this is the truth. They know this is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's salvation. But let me also tell you the implication. If you're already born again, what it also means. Are you ready? Come on now. Are you ready? Jesus says, I am the what? I'm the way. I'm the door now, right? John chapter 10 verse 9. He says, I'm the door. Now this is what it also means. When there is a door, like you have there now, a door is a legitimate access to another dimension, another level. Okay? So as you see this door right now, okay? Or look, the door to the vestry there. Okay? If I wanted to go into the vestry, there's only one way you can go into the vestry. So now I give you the keys to the place, or you follow somebody that has the keys to the place. You follow? Outside of those two options, you can't get in. At least in this developed world. <laughs> you can't get in. All right. But this is what I want to show you. What is the difference between Jesus having the keys of David and opening and nobody can shut? And Jesus himself being the door. Do you want to know? Because I want to use this to pray for somebody. If Jesus is just the one that has the key, it means there have to be a door there already. But what about if I want to go through here and there's no door? There's no pathway. It has never happened before. What I'm trusting God for is unprecedented in my family. It's unprecedented. What I'm trusting God for, they're telling me that it has no precedence. What in the situation where there's no precedence? There is no precedence in this church since we have been in this sanctuary that somebody will want to go to the junior church and go through this place. It has no precedence. You have to go through either one of these set of doors here or one of the set of doors there. That's the one that has precedence. Now, if you don't have the key, you can find somebody that has the key to open it for you. But what in the situation whereby what you want has no precedence? What do you do? Then Jesus said, I cannot just provide you the key. I will stand in front of the place. You will go through me and... It will be so powerful. As you go through me, the door, you will end up where you're going. So wherever you want, on the other side of it that will give you your joy, Jesus says, I can stand in front of you and be a door. This is very, very powerful. Very powerful. That is why in Scripture, you will see that people came to Jesus, you know, and on the Sabbath day, there's no precedent for it. On the Sabbath day, nobody gets, nobody works from sundown to sunrise. 
They still do it today in Judaism. Nobody walks. And there's a man that was sick. Mark chapter 3, from verse 1 to 5. And he was sick. But it happens to be the Sabbath day and he was in the synagogue. And the people were thinking, well, Jesus, this is unprecedented. You can't do anything. This man cannot be healed on this day. But Jesus said, I want to heal the man. Okay, it's against the, the laws of the land and so on and so forth, but I'm the door. If he goes through me, he can get it. And I'm praying for somebody here today. Jesus will manifest himself to you as the door. You know, sometimes you, 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 you're trying to get a gainful employment, you apply for a job, all right? First interview, second interview, then some background checks, some references, and you know, some, then they say, oh, well, you've got to wait a little bit. We want you to meet the technical director or meet so and so and so and so. Then that can drag on and on, and before you know what's happening, they tell you that it's not coming together again. But Jesus is the door. How many of you need gainful employment here this year? I'm not talking of internship now. I'm talking of proper job. Internship, co-op, and all of that. I know it's all part of it, but I'm talking of proper, proper job. All right, good, good. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. Okay, okay, okay. So how many of you need internship? All right. Okay, it's proper, it's proper too. Okay. Okay, internship is a big deal. I did internship too when I came out of pharmacy school. So it's a very big deal. So it can set you up. Set up, set you up. So I'll pray for you too. So when I call people forward now, you could come forward. I've seen this over and over again. Don't forget, I've done this for about 23 years now. How God opens doors for people when there seems to be no door. People, after you, you know, the amazing thing is that there are testimonies you will get after you've gotten the testimony. A friend of yours, somebody close to you, will want to repeat the same thing and they cannot repeat it. Because they didn't know you didn't go through a normal door. You went through Jesus to get it. Exodus chapter 34 verse 10, just to give you an idea. Again, put it on the screen. Exodus 34 verse 10. 34 verse 10. He said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels. Marvels. All right. Such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with who? With who? Point to me and say, Me now. <laughs> with me. He said, I will do marvels. It's never been done. Yeah, it's unprecedented. I will do it with you. When the children of Israel go to the Red Sea, Moses said, where are we going to go through? Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the door. Lift up your rod. The sea will open. You open. The Egyptians said, oh, there's a way through. They didn't realize that children of Israel went through a mysterious door, a miraculous door. When they attempted to do the same thing, the Red Sea took over them. I'm praying for you today. What is unprecedented? What has no precedence? A level and dimension of breakthrough in a specific area of your life that has no precedence. Something that for the next six months you'll be pinching yourself to find out if it is true, if you were dreaming. I'm praying for you that that will be your portion in Jesus' mighty name. Yeah.